colonizer gray abrow flowers. I tell you about children throwing rocks at Israeli tanks seconds before becoming daisies. I want to be like those poets who care about the moon. Palestinians don't see the moon from jail cells and prisons. It's beautiful, the moon. They are so beautiful, the flowers. I pick flowers for my dead father when I'm sad. When I die, I promise you to haunt you forever. One day, I cry about the flowers like we all did. Ooh, I don't know about you guys, but that just got me the feelings. That was a poem for a Palestinian poet called Noor Hindi, and the poem is called For Your Lecture on Craft, My People Are Dying. So hi, welcome to another episode of Oversharing. And as you might saw in the title, today we're talking about Palestine. I feel like it's really important to talk about Palestine. Uh, and let's be honest, when this conflict um, started, and I mean, it started like in, not really started because it's like I've been there for a while, for some decades. But I'm talking about like the recent events. I wasn't educated enough. Luckily for me, I have a very, very, very interesting and amazing friend who is an expert in this topic. Her name is Mariel Mera, and I studied my master's degree at history with her. She's an archaeologist, she's an historian, she's an expert about the Holy Land disputes. Uh, actually, her master's thesis was about this, and so let's introduce it. So, hi, who are you? Um, and are you ready to do some oversharing today? Oh yeah, I I hope I'll be able to do some oversharing. I'm I'm not sure if I'm an expert. I think I've trained a little on that, but uh, I'm I'm just starting now. I'm not expert, but I hope I can help to understand this conflict that is very long and that somehow um, is close to to all of us for one reason or another. So yeah, thank you for inviting me and, and let's overshare, overshare a little. Thank you for being here. I'm so happy to have you. And so just tell us what's happening at Gaza. I mean, what is really going on there? Well, I think uh, we we are really blessed now. I, nowadays with uh, social media, no, because we can really actually hear from people in Gaza what is happen happening there. Um, at least two of the reporters, I, I don't know if call them influencers, more like uh, reporters that are being there uh, and that I'm following very closely are Bizan and is also Motas. Uh, both of them are under 30 and have been reporting in Gaza ever since this conflict started. No, before before October the 7th, they were reporters, but they were also reporting the life in Palestine to see the, the different, the diversity that existed, the, the life that existed in the land. And nowadays they have become the, the eyes of the war to the destruction, to the famine, I mean, nowadays, people is not only dying for the bombing, but they are also dying from uh, hunger. They are dying from cold. 
because the situation created by the conflict, the the the, the close of the frontiers, the the destruction of the infrastructure, everything has uh, bring the people to a secluded space and where they do not have access to clean water, they don't have access to food, they don't have access even to something to cover with because they left their homes with one or two things uh, to change maybe. And that they that's the condition they are living now nowadays. Uh, what is happening in Gaza right now is a real and truly humanitarian crisis. Yeah, I mean, I I follow Motas, and I mean, we really get scared when he doesn't post like in a few days because we know that he can be probably killed in any second. Like he's just so so strong and so inspirational. And I love that you say like the big role that is really taking social media in reporting all this stuff. And I actually wanted to ask you why we don't see Motaz or all these people actually in the news. Why the news? I mean, recently, like they just like started talking about it, but why they aren't really uh, saying the things clear? Why they are aren't accepting there's just a genocide happening? Well, I think, um, well, uh, uh, I am in my context, we are in Mexico, no? So in general media, we do not see that a lot. I think we are starting to see a change a little bit. It's not just talking about what Hamas did to Israel, but we are also talking about the bombing in Gaza. So for Mexican uh, journalism, I think that's uh, a big change. Internationally, uh, well, Al Jazeera has always been like the most open to the Arab side, uh, obviously. But I think that, yeah, the, the media in general is starting to at least uh, change a little, not a lot, but a little bit because of the humanitarian crisis that we are seeing now. I think... Uh, the what what we are also listening about is the that Israel is losing the war in the media in thanks to 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 social media no because they are not only uh, dependent on what they can pay people to say but also there is this other thing they cannot control uh, is the people living in Gaza and all of us outside of Gaza that can make some echo in our uh, networks in our accounts so I think there is it's not like a total silence like it was maybe one or two months ago but well um, thinking on Mexican journalism I think it has to do a lot with uh, and maybe in in the world in the world uh, scale also it has to do with money you know who has the money is the one that says what they want to say and right now well israel is very protected by the united states so it's hard to say something against uh the inversions and the the people in power that it's really holding to that money that is uh, deciding what to say and what not to say and i think it also has to do with the idea that the islamophobia that is 
very general in the West, especially after 9-11. It just make us believe anything they tell us. They tell us that um, the Arabs are the the villains, the Arabs are the ones that are attacking, the Arabs are the bloodthirsty uh, beings that are just making war against uh, Israel that is defending itself. But yeah, I think it's money and Islamophobia, the two things that are making the, the media just take aside to Israel. Yeah, I can totally, totally see that. And as I was talking at the beginning, when when I, the recent events just started like going out, uh, and I asked you like, can you please educate me a little bit? Because this conflict, like, is not recent; it's been there for a while. So I mean, I know it's just like a very long history, but if you could just like tell us, um, what is happening? For how much time this been happening? Is this like a prom a process of colonization? Uh, anything. Anything pleasing, how they call it. So how how long this tro the trouble has been there around? I think that's very a very important question to to ask uh, ourselves now because we tend to believe, or at least after October the seventh, Israel and the media insisted on that uh, the beginning of this conflict was October the seventh, twenty twenty three. The attack of Hamas against the kibbutz and against the military bases and against the uh, music festival that started this conflict. But the truth is that it is as easy as going into Google and uh, and searching for Palestine-Israeli war timeline, and you can see that uh, it depends. No, we can maybe take. Uh, but yeah, take us the beginning of this conflict, 1948, when the state of Israel is created, or maybe we can go a little bit more uh, into the past and take 1919, when the British mandate started to be established, or maybe and the Balfour Declaration, or maybe we can go into... Nineteen or the 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 last years of the nineteenth century, when the first uh, Zionist settlers started to arrive to to Palestine, or maybe I mean we can't keep going back and back and back even to seventeen ninety nine with Napoleon when he uh, stated that the Palestine could be the 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 land of the Jews, no? So it's a very, very, very long conflict um, that did not start yesterday, and that is a colonization process. Uh, maybe one of the longest, because we, here in Mexico, we had a, a colonization process in, in the early modernity, as uh, historians like to call it, in the 16th century that lasted until 19th century, no? And then we started being colonized by the United States. Uh, Africa also went through a very long period of colonization and still under this uh, kind of establishment, but Palestine has been colonized. It's like one of the strongest examples of colonization because everyone agrees, everyone at least 
on the West agrees that Palestine or the historical land of Palestine corresponds to the Jews and is Israel. Uh, but the truth is that uh, Arabs have been living there from the sixth since the sixth century. Then who really belongs there? I mean, it's not a thing of who deserves to be there. Anyone that has been born there should be allowed to be there. And everyone that has been expelled in the last century from that land should also has, have the, the right to return. No? Uh, it has been, as I told you, a very long conflict. And a conflict with, where Israel has begun first by massacring and then by displacing and then by um yeah that that has been the the strategy you now first asking them to leave then massacring and then transferring people no that's that's the concept they use they do not use displacement they use transfer because they are just transferring them to another Arab country and bringing uh Jews to to settler in that the territory they have um displaced so it is it, a very long conflict it definitely is and i honestly invite all the people listening to do your own research because no one can educate you like yourself and i wanted to ask you i mean i know that there's not like a universal answer for this question but you know we saw that this topic went to the united nations there were two two votations, you know. The first one, it was with the main powers, and uh, the United States say we we are not going to support the ceasefire, so it didn't happen. But then there was another votation when uh, all the countries participated, and while some countries um didn't uh support Palestine, uh we could say like the majority of the world does. So if they vote, you know, um, in favor of ceasefire, why ceasefire isn't happening? Why they are really helping? I mean, are the United Nations useless? I mean, I, I, that's just like a topic for a whole other discussion. But um, really, why is no one intervening? Why is no one going and save these people? Yeah, well, I think uh, thinking exactly on this uh, emergency reunion of the General Assembly of the UN, it happened because I think that what is happening is just showing that the system that was established after World War II is really needs to be changed, needs a new to disappear. I don't know. That's that's out of my um, realm of knowledge, but I think at least it gives us the, it has shown that the way it was uh, created is not working anymore, no? Because it happened in, uh, in the 2000s when the United States wanted to start war in Afghanistan uh, with its veto uh, vote. It, it just started war without the support of the United Nations. It is happening again today when in the um, Security Council, the United States vetoed the ceasefire and that's why we had the 
the emergency general assembly it was it voted 153 in favor to the ceasefire i mean that's a, a, an enormous difference to the 10 votes that voted against the ceasefire and the 23 that abstained no uh, so yeah i think the the word is really trying to to make a in the political international political sphere is trying to make a ceasefire we as simple civilians are, are trying to call for a ceasefire with like marching on the streets like um on social media in any in every way we can no we're, we're trying to call for a ceasefire but the problem is is the system really how can you tell i think the 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 people from the United States, the civilians from the United States really have a, a greater power because they can stop their government. No, we we can also do our things here in Latin America, but well, for our case, Mexico has already stated that it's not going to stop uh, its relationship with Israel. We do not have an embassy with Palestine, so we do not really have an international relationship with them. We have a representation of Palestine, so that's a different uh, kind of relationship. We have just celebrated in 2021 the, 60, the first 60 years of the Mexican, the first 70 years of the Mexican-Israeli relationship. So it's really hard uh, for us to, to find a way, but I mean, we, we can do little things, but yeah, I definitely think that this, um, this crisis has shown the, that the construction of the UN really needs to be rethinking, rethought and yeah, but, but that's like really out of, what I know of, I only know that it is a crisis that needs to be taken care of. Yeah, totally. I mean, they are, our institutions are clearly failing at some point because, I mean, their point was to be united and to bring peace. And I, I want to talk about a little bit about uh, two concepts that are something misunderstood or confused between each other. Uh, you know, it. What is like? What's the difference between uh, being anti-Semitic and anti-Zionist? Because I mean, a lot of people is afraid to speak um against Israel because they don't want to be labeled as an anti-Semite. And you know, I mean, obviously we know that the Jews been through a lot. They have had all their or history of pain and crime and they have suffered a lot as you know as religion as ethnicity whatever you want to call it uh, so I feel like sometimes people really don't want to like disappoint the Jews no because we have like a this historical debt with them but really I also feel that it's really extreme that you can just share your opinion and then you'll be like oh you must be anti-semitic you must hate Jews so Supporting Palestine really makes me an anti-Semitite. And what's the difference between being an anti-Semitite and an anti-Zionist? You have your makeup. <laughs> it has been like a concept that Israel has used a lot uh, to make 
to to make equal to be anti-Semite and being anti-Zionist. And it's not the same thing, no? A Zionist is not necessarily a Jew, and a Semite is not necessarily a Jew either. A Semite is someone that speaks a Semitic language. And there we can put in the same bag Arabs and Jews. But, well, uh, a Semite, anti-Semite is a concept that was started, uh, that started being used in the 19th century to refer to uh, Jews and to be against this uh, ethnic group. But um, not every Jew is agrees with Zionism or with the state of Israel. A lot of Jews are against the state of Israel. For example, one, one group I can think right now is uh, the Jewish People for Peace. And I think it's a student group of Columbia University that was vetoed in Colombia because of being anti-Semite. No, how can they be anti-Semite if they are Jews? Just because they were calling for a ceasefire. They do not believe that them as, they do not believe that Israel speaks for them. They understand Israel is a state as any other that do not, that is not Jew. I mean, uh, do not, does not speak for every Jewish person in the world. Being Jew is an identity, a religious identity, an ethnic identity, a cultural identity. So being against the politics of one state is not being against a culture, a religion, or a, or an ethnic group, no? It's just being against the politics of that country. We are not against them because they are Jews. We are against them because they are committing crimes against humanity whether they are Palestinians or whether they are Bedouins or whether they are Lebanese. No, they have also uh, been in the south of Lebanon and they had bombed Syria. So it's important to keep that in mind as well. Uh, that is not, right now it's just, it's not just Gaza and Cisjordan, but also they have extended to the south of Lebanon and to Syria. And that's why I think uh, it's really, sometimes it's really hard to make the difference between being, explaining why Zionism and Judaism is not the same, because a lot of intellectuals have worked to, to merge those uh, two concepts together. But one thing is to be a Jew and a different thing is to be a Zionist. I mean, there are, a bunch of Christian Zionists as well. The other day I was listening as well on a podcast that the lobby, the Christian lobby in the United States has much, has, has more uh, members than Jewish people, Jewish American people living in North America, in the United States. So the Christian Zionist population is much bigger than the Jewish Zionists. So how do you make that being against them or their thinking about the colonization of Palestine 
being anti-Semite if they are not even Jew. So it's a very uh, complex, um, I forget the <laughs> concept, is uh, both of them, they have a lot of vertices, uh, a lot of that. So we have to understand that they are two different things. A lot of people like to think them together, but I think that remembering that there are Christian Zionists can help us to understand that being anti-Zionist and being anti-Semites is not the same thing. Yeah, I actually didn't know that there were so many um, Zionists and Christian at the same time. And I just want to say, like, if someone listening here is was born or he just follows Judaism and identifies himself or herself or themselves as a Jew and is also supporting Palestine, I feel like you are really just so strong. I mean, because obviously you have consciousness, you have learned that that not ever again means not ever again, not only for your people, but for anyone in the world. And I know that going against your culture must be really hard. And obviously all Jew people who has been supporting Palestine, I really love you. And in general, everyone who is supporting Palestine, I really love you. So I just want to say like, you know, to finish this interview, like how can we help uh, people in Palestine? And this has to do with a little bit uh, they're calling the boycotting. I mean, why are we boycotting certain companies and who are them? Okay, yeah, uh, also a little bit on what you were saying. Yes, I think uh, some of the historians that I have read the most brilliant and the ones that have shown me the most are Jewish people that have been brought on Zionist environments and that have realized that that is not the answer, no? And yeah, I think they are very brave for coming out from their Zionist environment. And when finally uh, the boycott, the boycott, I think it's one of the best ways we as simple civilians can help. Um, one of the very, one of the easiest tools that I have found is an app called No Thanks uh, that you can scan your product or maybe put the name of the brand and it has it has a lot of brands there are some brands that are not uh, in the app but at least can help you to to decide when buying no basically the boycott is to don't buy from companies that have supported in any way shape or form the the state of Israel or the inversions to the state of Israel. Maybe right now I can talk about Google and Amazon that have helped develop the program that is um, registering the biometrics of Palestinian civilians to keep them um, on record and to be uh, to keep an eye on them. So I think that's quite violent. Also McDonald's, McDonald's Israel has donated food for the Israeli army uh, during the occupation. Starbucks, Starbucks, the director of Starbucks uh, started a lawsuit against the organization of workers of Starbucks because of supporting Palestine and asked, asked them to change their logo so that they would not be necessarily associated with Starbucks and the um, the workers of Starbucks. 
Wow, I'm a little bit speechless. And I mean, I know guys, I, I love chicken nuggets and I love some coffee too, but really, I mean, it's the least we can do. I mean, it, it's the least we can do. So whatever you are in the world, just be conscious. I mean, because even if you don't do it with the purpose of supporting Israeli, um, then certain way you are supporting a company that sends money to them and Um, honestly, just Mario, thank you so much for coming. I, I just want to say I'm so proud of you for all the work you've been sharing and how vocal have you been about this conflict for educating me, uh, you know, when this all uh, recent stuff started and for being a for being so open to come here to talk about uh, about this a little more. So thank you so much. I love you so much. Thank you for inviting me and having me here over yeah. sharing. <laughs> Yay. So guys, see you next week and I love you. Bye.